I'm recording this episode today during Digital Health Week, which is co-hosted by the University of Melbourne, University of Sydney, and this campus, the University of New South Wales. And the aim of Digital Health Week is to bring together digital health researchers, to share ideas, start conversations and collaborate, and to nurture the graduates and early career colleagues. So all this talk of collaborative conversations in health tech, there's no surprise that I was keen to come along. So today I'm attending sessions about artificial intelligence, hype versus hope. I'm hearing about alternative career pathways beyond the PhD, and then exploring more of that entrepreneurial startup spirit in some networking sessions and panel conversations to end the day. And this is all happening here at the uni on campus during O-Week, which is when all of the new students come at the start of the year to check out the campus. So suffice to say, the place is pumping. So in between all this action, I get to speak to clinicians and innovators and technologists about the problems they're solving in healthcare. And you'll get to see those conversations in this episode today. I reckon let's do it. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Well, let's make it up. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritise content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or ten minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Hi, I'm Farah Magrabi, Professor of Biomedical and Health Informatics at Macquarie University. Thanks, Farah. And I walked into you providing a presentation to some people in a lecture theatre, but also I saw online about artificial intelligence. Tell me a bit more. What were you talking about today? Okay, so essentially I was talking about the kind of AI systems we have in healthcare today. Of course, everyone is talking about ChatGPT, but my main kind of focus was on some of the systems that we're starting to implement in our clinical settings particularly uh, medical devices, which incorporate uh, machine learning algorithms in them. Got you. A bit more about the clinical settings. I saw you look at a lot around imaging and diagnostics. That's certainly where my mind goes to, where we're thinking about the role of artificial intelligence, particularly from a clinical setting. Is that you know, primarily where a lot of the attention was spent as well from your side? We're interested both in clinician-facing and consumer-facing tools. And yes, a lot of the excitement is in stuff that is in the hands of consumers. But for the particular talk that I did kind of today, we focused on medical devices. And really, it's more convenient in terms of managing the amount of information that we had that we decided to focus on clinician-facing um, tools. And when you say the medical devices, because there's this whole exciting area at the moment where software is, is considered as a medical device, and so, so that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we're talking about. So essentially, you can have your hardware medical devices incorporating software. Our medical device regulations have changed, so anything that incorporates AI broadly kind of is now subject to medical device regulations. But your stock standard sort of digital health systems are traditionally not subject to medical device regulations. 
So your clinical information systems, record keeping, sort of general purpose kind of communication systems as well, because they don't incorporate um, any sort of machine learning in them. But those that do, um, they are now subject to medical device regulations here in Australia. I saw you talk about, you know, uh, the impact of clinicians of artificial intelligence in, in their day to day and whether they replace or augment clinicians. I find often too a big part of the conversation and an opportunity that exists within healthcare and AI doesn't even need to necessarily be around the diagnostic, you know, pure clinical side. There's so many administrative responsibilities and the billing side and all this extra stuff that hopefully can allow clinicians to do more clinicianing, do you think? Oh, look, and, and you've hit the nail right on the head there because there's a lot of boring administrative stuff that is very predictable. We actually need to do a bit more work in that space. It just so happens that a lot of the systems that we're, you know, marketing and selling these days, um, they kind of focus on medical devices and things that you can sell. But, but you're correct um, because anything that is a well-defined kind of task is potentially automatable. Um, yes. And we should be doing more of that because there's a lot of, you know, paper shuffling and, and form filling that happens that doesn't need to happen. And you could actually automate a lot of that and make clinicians' lives much easier. Should totally be the priority. Lastly, are you doing anything at MedInfo? I am. I'm actually co-chairing the conference. Cool. So I'm actually <laughs> You're doing, <playing>. something. <laughs> I'm doing something, yes. <laughs> what, what, what's gonna, uh, what are you most excited about for, for MedInfo? Oh, look, I'm, I'm most excited about the fact that um, it's the World Congress of Medical Informatics. Um, it's coming to my hometown yeah. and I'm co-chairing it. What more could I ask? <laughs> That's well, pretty obvious. Like, it couldn't get better than that. Uh, but look, on a serious note, there's some really important conversations that we need to have, mm. particularly around the role of AI and where things are going. Also climate change, you know, and, and the role of digital health in that, um, in terms of being able to monitor and control the emissions from the health system, which is a big contributor to global health emissions. Um, you know, we're looking at anywhere between 6 to 10% of emissions coming from healthcare itself. This came up in a, in a session that I was at yesterday from Enrico. Yes. Yeah. So the, it, it's an emerging area that's more and more focus is, is around the Yeah, you were at change. the ad hoc yeah, yeah. clinical governance meeting. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. kind of didn't catch me there, but I was there too. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was the co So Enrico I and I, yeah, uh, yeah. Enrico and I kind of... Uh, co-edited the special issue of Jamia. And so we're now on a mission to talk about it and say, hey guys, you need to be thinking of this area too. Really important. Yes. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around... I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey 
and to say thanks for your input. Everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. My name's Mark. I'm the CEO and co-founder of 23Strands. We do whole genome sequencing and big data analytics, mainly focused on AI. So we're really bringing that to an area of, of health, which is we think is, is a real need globally, which is reproductive health, mainly focused on the women and child journey, um, particularly through the prenatal um, IVF journey for those couples who are having problems. And you might see a little bit of that on uh, you know, free-to-air TV soon. Uh, off, off the back of that, um, so we're bringing really the, the next generation, we believe, of genomics into that space. And then we're moving into uh, the carrier screening, the pharmacogenomics, um, the um, perinatal and, and pregnancy management and monitoring of the woman, uh, and then also the child moving into looking at how the genomics of the parents actually influence the, the child. Wow. No, that's amazing. And, and so is the expectation then it's, it's more of a consumer-facing thing or, or, or is it more geared to the clinicians to help enable them to provide services? What's the- Yeah, so, so we've um, taken the approach that um, the clinicians are, are the underserved population mm. in the market at the moment. There are quite a few companies out there working on direct-to-consumer products, but what we found is that within the, uh, con- the clinical space, not as much has been given to the, the clinicians. And this group of you know, amazing people who've gone through amazing education um, who don't have much time is really the problem we're trying to solve is, is delivering insights to the patients, um, to that, to that group. And to hone it in then, so, so you're really looking to address a problem of not necessarily a lot of inaccuracies or, or, or issues that clinicians aren't doing a good enough job necessarily, but there's so much data to crunch and there's so many things to do that it's just not possible for humans to do it alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a great example of that is COVID. Right. Um, yeah, we went through uh, the COVID research and we published a paper on that back in 2020, um, where we looked at over 100,000 papers that were just published in nine months on COVID. And you say, who in the world could read 100,000 papers? And so that's what we brought is, you know, really the artificial intelligence approach to natural language processing, um, pulling out all of the structural information mm. from this unstructured inf- uh, the, the data, and then linking that with the patient record. Yeah, and okay. uh that, that gives us, you know, I think a, a really unique view on the patient, but also gives us the potential to uh, really have an, uh, use it as a catalyst to change the way healthcare is delivered. And for yourselves, in terms of how a clinician might engage with, with your stuff, you know, sometimes, particularly those that are doing really cool stuff with AI or algorithms or genomics, it might, it might be something that's kind of under the hood of another technology and then it's kind of plugging in and powering what's going on or is it the clinicians will, will, will very much interface with your thing and doing that? We've taken a very large view of this and we've built a platform, yeah. Um, yeah, which has actually taken quite a few years to, to build um, because we've basically, we asked ourselves the same thing. Mm. Should we just go out and buy and then deliver other people's you know, innovation? And I think there is amazing innovation out there in the world and we are still keeping our eye open and we do have partners that we do resell but we've built a platform that allows us to take the patient on a journey um, drives their collection of blood through to getting the whole genome sequence uh, and then deliver the report back to the the doctor which each of those three steps is pretty huge in itself um, we've done that because we thought that was a big gap in the in the market today mm. and it's also potentially going to bring huge value to the market which is i think as a startup you're trying to see you know, what type of value we can bring to the market. 
Um, that, uh, you know, eventually I think we pot potentially can have a huge impact, you know, and, and actually drive it, um, out in, in the public, not only behind the hood yeah. at the moment, it's behind the hood. And we're very fortunate if I, if I can just add, um, that we've got, uh, Virtus Health as one of our cornerstone investors. And so they're investing in a second round, um, of, of investment at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's opened up already a pathway of revenue and relationships. And we're doing probably the first in the world, a uh, hundred uh, patient, no, sorry, a hundred couple whole genome sequence trial together, mm. uh, wow. of which we've done, yeah, 16. Great to have that, yeah. you know, the demonstrated capability and that backing of, of someone to be able to scale through. It brings me back to the conversation that was happening in there earlier around, you know, with, with students coming through here at UNSW. And I think the topic that Joseph presented on was, you know, beyond the PhD, how do you take, you know, something that, that you're creating and, and, and I guess commercialize, but those there's there's those two different camps right so perhaps your advice then to you know whether it's early to mid career stage uh researchers or even just founders looking at well i've got this cool idea a thing i'm building but how do you then take it to the next step or build that team you're a little bit further ahead how do you you get out of the weeds and actually um communicate with investors and do all the things you're supposed to do yeah it's a, a Really good, great question. And it's not an easy, simple answer. I mean, from my perspective, but I think one of the things that we'd set out and we were very fortunate during the early stages of COVID to join the 20, uh, the, the 10X program uh, in 2020, uh, in uh, the, the health 10X program here at UNSW. Mm. Uh, and that gave us really a couple of things that were very important. One was, um, the ability to validate our credibility, because you, you never know when you're out there by yourself trying to do something, whether, you know, people are going to value it the same way you value it. And I think that's uh, from a, a um, perspective of working with experts in this ecosystem and getting some feedback. You know, we, first of all, we got some excitement and we said, yes, okay, we're on the right general direction. But then um, also during that program, we had the access to the amazing advisor network that came with. Uh, and in that advisor network, we're speaking to some of the experienced uh, clinicians and they were saying, actually, you should pivot away from that clinical area into reproductive health. Right. And we had another clinical area that we were focused on going to market on. And it made complete sense when we sat down, we, we thought about it a little bit. And it was one of those things where we got the credibility. Now we've got to get the market and the why properly. Um, we had a broad why, but we needed to target the why. And that for us was a big change in the way we ran our business. Really honing on that messaging. Yeah. Lastly, any final thoughts? So, you know, we're on a few different topics today. AI hype and hope came up, but uh, any other things to leave us with before we look at Yeah, so, so the AI uh, side of things, the hype and hope, uh, that particularly for us is a very um, important part of, of what we do. And what we found in Australia, I think we, we were actually at a crossroads. Um, we're, we've seen, and we've got support from UNSW, we've got support from UTS, um, some of the leaders, I think, in Australian artificial intelligence. And what we're seeing um, in the Department of Immigration, as an example, um, we see that some countries are, are being blocked. If you've got artificial intelligence or machine learning on your CV, um, the Department of Immigration actually stops you from entering the uh, country or continuing through to postdoc or PhD work. The, um, yeah, on top of that, uh, I think uh, the, um, what we've seen is that some of the grant centers, you know, the, particularly those in engineering, um, are having a hard time understanding the importance that I think the whole of the community can see mm -hmm. through public AI that's happening, um, particularly around chat GPT and some of those other well-known AI uh, areas. The, the government funding environments are not supporting, um, I think, the industry to the same level. 
Uh, and that's through, uh, you know, particularly these centers of excellence. Unfortunately, we haven't yet cracked an, the nut to get an artificial intelligence center of excellence in Australia. And that for me is an indicative that we're a couple of steps behind the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and we need to accelerate. It's a bit like genomics. You know, we need to accelerate. We need to at least catch up, if not go further. My name is Arash, and I'm the founder of DeepMess. Mm -hmm. DeepMess is on a mission to make medical imaging examinations, such as MRI or CT scan, significantly safer and more affordable for patients and clinics. Amazing. I I'm, I'm excited to meet you in person because we met at a Talking Health Sex Summit at some point during the networking, right? And, uh, yeah, and yeah, now yeah, we're in the yeah, flat. Yeah. It was a great event for yeah, us. Yeah. No, but you know, what, what was good too is that you were telling me about the problems you were solving then, and I'm like, oh, this is... Um, this is really interesting, and you were connected into UNSW uh, founders then as well. So, so, so t tell me the connection here. Why are you here today? So we started around a year ago, and uh, so we were working on the product development, mm. and then we joined the UNSW's accelerator program, and they helped us to validate the business model, to make connections into the industry, into the people who are experts in this area, mm. and then we gradually uh, come up with a uh, with a business model that work that we can guess it's, it's it's going to work in a real world setting because you know everything is on the paper and until you have you, you have a real conversation with medical imaging center that's the time you make you're kind of sure that this is uh, something that's going to work in the future yeah and so this has been your like professional background right and now it's taking the what's theoretically possible but turning it into a product uh, yeah, definitely. So the first step was to build the MVP yeah. that uh, based on the limited number of uh, images that shows the feasibility of this solution, technical feasibility of the solution, which we have built our MVP based on uh, more than 800 patients' brain MRI images, which is one of the largest uh, studies of its kind. And then after doing the feasibility study, we are going to uh, to, to do, to work on the real product, which means that we are going to deploy our MVP in some clinics in Australia to test it using real world data, to test it, uh, on an expanded data set to, to see how radiologists, uh, work with this kind of product. Are they interested if they see any kind of, uh, if, if they need any more features or if they need chance, you know, so MVP is just a first version of the product, which mm which uh, makes sense only in the development team. But we need to test it to validate it using uh, in, in, in the real world. And tell me a bit more then about how it actually works, what you're doing at DeepMed. Sure. We are developing an AI-based solution that can reduce the dosage of contrast agents in medical imaging examinations, for example, MRI or CT scan. Contrast agents are chemical substances that are injected into the vein to increase the quality of medical images. And they have been in the market for the past 50 years. And the market of contrast agents has been untouched. Uh, the market is operating in a traditional method using uh, chemical substances. But today, with the advancement in the AI technology, deep learning technology, it's time to change. The reason is that those contrast agents have, you know, uh, kind of side effects on patients, and they are not safe for all uh, groups of patients. Patients with kidney problem, pregnant female, small children, they cannot receive the full dose of contrast, yeah. which may lead to misdiagnosis. And we are, uh, our solution 
can reduce the dosage of contrast by at least 80%. Make it safer. I mean, because I've had quite a few MRIs in my time and it's literally, right, you need to make your insides glow in the dark, right? That's what they, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. What they do. So, so that, that can't be that good for you if done over a longer period of time, right? So you're saying less of that chemical needs to be put inside somebody so that you can actually still get the same results and you're using AI to be able to do that. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, uh, FDA or TGA have already announced some warnings against the buildup of contrast into the brain and bones. Mm. And on the other hand, they are very expensive. They're expensive for medical imaging centers. They are one of the most expensive consumable item costs in clinics. Uh, and that's the reason we believe that there's a great value in having such product that can reduce the dosage by at least 80%, which makes a really a sense for, yeah, for yeah. clinicians and patients. How have you found that journey of, you know, taking, you know, it's a little bit chicken and egg, right? So to be able to um, raise funding, to be able to build something, you've got to be able to demonstrate that it's capable, but to be able to demonstrate, you need the funding to be able to build the thing. Have you, you know, going through the process and, and granted, you, you're probably still going through it right now. What is it like going and finding that balance and getting that buy-in? Um, actually, um, raising funding is one of the biggest challenges. Uh, it's not just for deepness, but uh, I, I assume that many other startups face the same challenge. Um, so the way we handled the cha- this challenge was that, so Australia is a great place to test and validating the solution. There are different grants from MVP grants to AC grant, other grants, and also the University of New South Wales or other accelerating programs. They are supporting you until the stage that uh, you can have a validated MVP or, or a, you know, validated business model. And then you're almost ready to present your idea to the investors and, uh, you know, get the seed funding or pre-seed funding and so on. But I really believe that Australia is a great place because of the support of the government, because of the support of the ecosystem to build, uh, to build this kind of product and then expand it, then scale the product and getting the funding from, uh, you know, VCs and investors. And so yeah, definitely. I, th- I think um, leveraging those those grants and those programs and the communities up front to really get as much value out of that as possible to then get to a point where then you need to make that big bigger investment. That's that's definitely the way. And look, lastly, as as a community, as an ecosystem, how can we support you and DeepMeds kind of get to that next point that you need to in twenty twenty three? Our next milestone is to, uh, as I mentioned already, is to get into to bring our MVP into some clinics for the validation phase, working with researchers to publish the result of our findings in, uh, in, in peer review publication and, uh, you know, this kind of publication. But, uh, yeah, we need to have the support of radiology society to have the support of VCs and angel investors to bring this product to life. This is very important. Uh, yeah, this is the next major milestone for us. Hi, yeah, my name is Monzarul. Um, you can call me Mons. That's my short name. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a researcher and entrepreneur in rehab technologies. So you've got wearing a few few hats there, bringing the research and the entrepreneurial uh, aspects together. And what's the product of all those things coming together? So uh, first, I'm a researcher because um, I'm a, a research fellow at UNSW mm-hmm. Sydney, co-affiliated with uh, Neuroscience Research Australia. Um, I started this fellowship um, uh, two years ago, roughly two years ago, uh, when I moved to Australia from Hong Kong. 
So long story short, um, I did my PhD in neuroscience and um, I do research uh, over the last 15 years uh, on spinal cord injury rehabilitation. And throughout this research, I realized that um, uh, research is excellent um, while uh, we need this research translation to make a big social impact or any significant impact to the society. So there comes the entrepreneurship and I'm very lucky and honored to be the part of uh, UNSW Founders Program last year to have uh, the that hat. And so taking this research in, in, you mentioned spinal cord surgery? Spinal cord injury. Spinal cord injury into a, and, and taking that into a product? Yes. To treatment. My research is on neuromodulation and neuromodulation is, um, can be done by uh, pharmacologically, also uh, recently found that electrically. And this electrical neuromodulation, um, during my postdoc training from uh, UCLA, uh, from California, um, we have uh, quite a number of success uh, with the spinal cord neuromodulation. And uh, I uh, brought that uh, knowledge to Hong Kong, uh, where we uh, tried this therapy in a patient with uh, spinal cord injury, mm -hmm. and they recovered. And now in Australia, um, uh, we are doing uh, similar neuromodulation trials in different labs, uh, also in, in, in NSW, uh, where we're going to test this kind of uh, treatment. Um, uh, but uh, the point here is that even these treatments works, there is no commercial product, there is no direct mm -hmm. translation. So I want to um, pave that path. So so this treatment is effective. What, is, is it a, a device or a thing that, that um, delivers the, 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 the therapy? At the moment, the stimulator itself cost um, uh, ten thousand pound, and uh, the stimulator is a stationary uh, on the bench stimulator, um, which is kind of a size of a computer. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, a computer cannot be carried by a person with paralysis uh, on sure. the street. Mm. So we want to make it like a pacemaker size. Yeah, interesting. And so, so that then brings you here to UNSW Founders, you mentioned. So, so what, does the, what does the UNSW Founders kind of program and all the, all the resources and stuff bring for you to be able to um, take it from, you know, concept to reality? Specifically for the stimulation part, uh, it's very easy because um, uh, UNSW has this MCIC uh, uh, workshop where we can use that workshop and uh, also can help from students, um, also help the students from, uh, on their projects, yeah. on, uh, different um, uh, developing different uh, modules uh, of this uh, product. Uh, by the way, this is, not, this is one of the uh, targeted product. Uh, the other product is actually exoskeleton. Yeah. You might have heard that exoskeleton is a big, um, big booming industry, yeah. but I see it in a, in a way that it's a very, very important rehab tool for people with paralysis. Uh, now, one exoskeleton might cost uh, a couple of hundred thousand dollars where uh, we can try to uh, cut the cost by developing in-house exoskeleton, not only um, making cutting the cost, but also uh, combine it with the stimulation to find a better treatment. Do you find that's the where a lot of the innovation happens in this in this research space, particularly with devices, where technically you could build something to to deliver therapy or or, or an outcome, but it could be a big flipping machine or a very expensive thing to create. So then it's about making it smaller or more cost effective or easier to use. Is that the innovation there? The problem I found that is the 
importance uh, or the priority for people uh, in this uh, field. For example, I'm an academic and my priority would be uh, publishing the results yeah. in a high-impact journal. The next one would be the same thing, uh, publishing the results in a high-impact journal. Mm. But then there is no direct translation and there is no intense incentives for that. Yeah. So this comes from the motivation that we want to make a difference in people's life. Mm. And that's why someone has to translate that yes. knowledge. Yeah. And um, I took that risk. Good on you. Well, well, hopefully that gives inspiration to others to, to do the same. What, what advice would you give or do you give to um, people in a similar situation where they feel that they're pumping out research to create papers but could, could potentially make more impact in people's lives? Where do you start to try and make that shift? I think the uh, university is in a very good situation uh, or the perfect uh, stand in this case uh, and UNSW is uh, doing that. Mm. So the, there is a program called Staff Entrepreneurial Program, and this kind of program actually will help the staffs uh, not only do high-impact publications, but also translate their result. To I'm, I'm only talking talking about my field and my small niche, yeah. but there are many. Got to start somewhere. No, that's yeah. fantastic. Yep. Any other final comments or things that you wanted to share for this one? It's a very, um, very sharp learning process. <laughs> but it's also a fun process so yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great place uh, and you will never find alone because there are people who are going through the same process and yeah all this learning feel the pain together yeah. <laughs> hey thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode if you made it this far you're the perfect person that I want to hear from our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June and I personally read every submission in fact if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.